Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Wild. Before we get on to today's show, Nada and I would like to remind everyone that whilst Into the Wild is a super accessible show, we do occasionally let out the odd swear word. So if you're a young nerd, make sure you tell your parents that. And if you're someone that doesn't like swearing, then I'm sorry for all the shit, piss, fucks, and whacks. Hi Nadia, welcome. Hi. Why am I welcoming you? Don't you just say hello? No, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's all right. (laughs) Where where are you? I don't recognise where you are. I'm currently in Edinburgh, having just been on an adventure uh, in Scotland. Nice. Did you enjoy it? Um, I enjoyed it. I it was. What? What? Because I'm not. Wasn't as positive as I thought you were going to be. It's just the summer holidays. And oh. so there's there's a there's an intensity of the amount of humans that also want to do a similar thing. Whilst I love people, and I make a point on this podcast a lot how much I love people, yeah. the, the specific intent behind going away was to have solitude, which I did not find. So there we are. Thank you, Scotland. I've started to say that I love humans, but I don't always like people. Is that more accurate? No, I, I feel like I don't know what that means <laughs> it means i love what we can be like as a more we're made up of we're brilliant oh so humans in general are incredible as humans a species. in general they're, they're my favorite animal i get along with humans way more than any other species <laughs> like i'd rather hang out with humans than like rats apart from riley oh shit yeah yeah don't, no, no, don't tell her i said that no. don't tell her i said that how are you I'm all right. I'm really warm. It's a very humid day in London today. It's um, it rained last night, um, which was nice, but it is very very humid. So, um, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm in my nice palm tree shirt. Yeah, nice. And what summer. and what are you drink? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking um, Dr Pepper. Yeah, very very nice drink. Soda, uh, fruit based drink, um, and we are open to sponsors, Dr Pepper. So. Always open to sponsors. Open. Uh, they've changed their motto. I didn't realise they did that. I thought it was still what's the worst that could happen, but it's so misunderstood since 1885. 1885? Wow. Oh, I can really... Wow. I, I would have guessed it would have been an old one. Would you? Yeah, it it's takes... got like an aged kind of... An a... <laughs> it's a very aged soda. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not, not like really. the mod... it's not like the modern drinks, which are like light blue and... Or like, pink or yellow. Oh, you know, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it is it is that classic like cola color thing. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. What I are like you drinking? Uh, oh, just decaf tea. Again, open to, you, to collaborations. Yeah. I'm going to stop asking. I know. Should I be more? I am going out for a beer after this. What? Because it's the what? fringe in Edinburgh. Oh, have fun with that. Okay. I'm still, I'm still not over the fringe. <laughs> okay. Still All right. I'm still scarred for Ryan did the fringe years. once and he'll never go back. No. So, yes. Three I'm, times. I'm, did you? Mm. Did you have three times? Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm actually staying in a house where there are people who are staying here who are in the fringe. And so I've heard oh. various rehearsals coming through the door and it's just the weirdest experience. Oh, I'm so sorry if it's an improv group. <laughs> I like improv. My life is improv. <laughs> <laughs> the lowest art form. No, I'm joking. Um, shall we crack on with Nature Room 101? Let's do it. This is exciting. Let's bring in our guests. Um, nerds, we've got two guests that have been on the show before um, and they're back to get angry about certain aspects of nature, which potentially could have happened on the episodes that they were on originally. I can't quite recall. Um, but our first guest is Dr. Amy Jane Beer. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hello, my lovely Anne. Very well. Good. Um, have you had a good day? I've had a, a mixed day. A yeah? mixed day. Yeah, it's it's school holidays, so trying to get anything productive done. Um in the house it's hard so I've been doing lots of stuff that feels like productive but actually isn't 
Oh no. So oh, it's no. the only time I tidy stuff is at times like this. So How been long? opening drawers and, and tidying them, you know? <laughs> I bet I bet the contents of Amy's drawers are really interesting though. Yeah. What have you what what have you dry, tidied recently in a drawer? What required? Um, well, it was the drawer that had all the kind of pens and pencils and so I now have pots. I've now got I've, I've got so random. I've got a Lyle's golden syrup tin with all the pencils in it and a, an old yes. marmite jar, like a ceramic marmite jar with all the sharpies in it. A ceramic marmite jar? No, yeah. So I know, Amy Jane Beer, that you are going away today and I feel like that's a low priority of tasks <laughs> complete with the problem and goes away. Yeah, I feel like the word procrastination is coming up here. That's exactly <laughs> it. I'm a master, mistress of procrastination. <laughs> um, how do you like to get angry and rant? Bearing in mind this is the theme of the show. I can't um, imagine I'm you doing so. I'm generally not an angry person, but every so often it really boils up. Really? But I'm not, I'm not an impressive angry person. I get kind of squeaky and sometimes tearful so it's generally oh no, don't not do my that best today. no i won't do that today i'm more likely to get kind of shrill <laughs> i just can't I imagine you being someone that just kind of goes one two three and walk away i yeah well i do a good sulk you do a sulk yeah, like yeah that's like the sort of slow burn anger rather than explosion but occasionally a rant comes out and i surprise myself yeah, and everyone around you. <laughs> Means business. Means Lovely. Business. Well, well, thank you very much, Amy. So next, uh, our other wonderful guest um, on the show today is Lee Schofield, our warden from uh, RSPB Horswater. Um, and manager, author, if you don't mind. Site manager, sorry, warden. Yeah, I mean, God, come on. I don't, on, come I don't on. know, what's in the title? A volunteer from the RSPB. Volunteer. <laughs> Occasional volunteer, seasonal volunteer. Works in the yeah. cafe. When I can be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Site <laughs> manager for Horswater RSPB. Apologies, Lee. How the hell are you? Very good, thanks. I feel a bit yeah. left out that like I'm not Dr Pepper or Dr Amy Jane Beer. I'm just <laughs> plain old Lee. Is, doctor, is the doctor ever on the cards, Lee? No, no, oh. God, no. Unless someone wants to give me an honorary one for not really doing anything. Yeah, wait. Oh, if we're doing that, I'll take one. an honorary one. Yeah, me too. Actually, yeah. if we're handing them out, <laughs> easy apparently. Um, just hang around. Just keep working at Horsewalk. Keep doing amazing things. Keep making them TV appearances. Who'll get one? So, what have you been up? What have you been up to today? Uh, I, well, I've been away on holiday, and I plan to have a day of being at home and catching up, and then all sorts of minor people crises occurred at work, and I had to go rushing off to Horsewater instead and talk to people. So that was good. Um, so it doesn't feel like I've achieved a great lot today, to be honest. So where does, that, where does that leave you in your kind of ability to rant today? Might that be a thing? It's probably amped me up a little bit yeah. more than, a, than the day that I'd planned would have done. So Yeah. And is, there, is, it something, is it something you do if we were to ask your colleagues at work? Just leave like a rant, what would they say? Uh, I'd like to think they'd say no. I think they've probably only heard me kind of raise my voice and get properly angry about once in the last sort of decade or so. But um yeah, there's a lot of stuff kind of bubbling up underneath. I try wherever I can to sort of translate it into something useful and productive. I imagine Lee someone that when he goes really quiet, that's when people get nervous. Yeah. I reckon if he, he spends all morning not saying a word, people are like, leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. People can probably read me quite well. Like, yeah, yeah. Spot on, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful. All right, well... 
Is there anything uh, you want our listeners to know that we've not mentioned yet, Lee? Oh yeah, and you, Amy. Anything our listeners yeah. should know before your answers? What they could, what they should be bracing themselves for? Yeah, what to expect today? Tell me about your your, your preparation for our room one hundred and one. Mostly, I spoke to uh, my good friend and colleague Annabelle Rushton. Uh, and she told me all of the things that you would have put into your 101, <laughs> Nadia. So, so we're going to talk, talk about cuckoo rasses. Oh, I mean, God. I don't even know. What's wrong with a cuckoo you rass? Be, well, we, we, exactly. There's a whole other episode here, probably. But why, why even? When, how, when, that when was, that is a blast a from the RSPB past. That's, that's about 10 years or more than 10 years of history right there in that comment. I didn't know it was going to come and smack me in the face like a wet salmon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why uh, don't you I like think you should definitely get you should definitely get Annabelle on this program because her suggestions are all brilliant. I mean, she, before we realised what the categories were, she was just so angry at the idea of a greenish warbler. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and just because it's greenish, I mean, and, and, I, and I can completely see where she's coming from. I mean, it's probably a very nice bird, but greenish... I mean, yeah, maybe maybe we should just quickly add another category and just stupid names for things. Oh, that would be never ending. Yeah. Starting with green ish. I'm I'm not moving off this cuckoo rass thing until you give me an answer. Do you know what it was? There. Do you know what it was? It's just I uh, just God, okay. So the RSPB does these wildlife pin badges, and it was they decided to do a cuckoo rass pin badge, which no one bought because they looked crap. No one knows what they are. They were just a, a peripheral, insignificant bit of wildlife that the general public isn't aware of. And they were just trying to flog these stupid pin badges. And your box would always be full of the cuckoo wrasse. And I'm sure they're lovely and colourful and rare and special. They're but not rare, but they're very colourful. They're not rare? Maybe that I thought they were. I don't think they were. They're quite common around the UK coast. Because so many people bought pin badges, learned about them, and they probably yeah. did a reintroduction. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, what about yourself? What should our listeners be aware of? Or, or if anything, do you want to give them a heads up? Well, I'm going to have a rant about publishing, actually. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Still said with so much love and kindness that I think everyone's like, well, we're ready. <laughs> That's author Amy Jane Beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go on to these categories, we did actually do a shout out for one of them. So our first category, which we'll go into in a minute, was pathetic plants. And we actually did a shout out on social media to get people to suggest. Um, but there was one person that I thought I do want to get his two pence first um and that was Leif Burzweeden because I thought if I'm going to get someone to rant about plants it's going to be my friend Leif. Leif put in I want um Amy and Lee to get your thoughts on this he would like to nominate uh cornflowers for Nature Room 101. His reason is they're the flowery face of an industry that's greenwashing the shit out of wildflower meadows. (laughs) Um he was quite angry. <laughs> he actually called them f***ing cornflowers when he sent me the message. Leif Sweden off of orchids? No, I know. Um, so he said, um, everyone goes mad for them and they're just like, he's just like, oh, what about dandelions? So Amy, Lee, what do you feel about cornflowers? Would you put them in or would you go, no, they're all right? Yeah, I quite, I, I, I'm with Leif actually, but not just cornflowers, all of those pictorial meadows mixes that are, are really sold as the kind of pollinator bonanza and saving wildflowers and they may be wildflowers but most of them that are used in those mixes aren't from they're not british wildflowers they're not native how do they get away with this oh well i think it's it's arguably better than bedding plants you know the sort of victorian seasidey bedding plants which are particularly vile and like kind of 
bedding plants are a bit like you know those paint by numbers pictures that you used to get when you were a kid <laughs> they're just sort of blocks of color yeah yeah and so so the sort of the mix and the spectacle of those pictorial meadows i hope to, do I need to explain what i mean by pictorial meadows are these sort of roadside and roundabout um wildflower wildflower in inverted commas mixes um but but achieving those is hugely destructive because they're all like agricultural weeds that grow on bare soil so to create that beautiful display you have to obliterate normally using glyphosate what's there previously um to get that to get this that beautiful display which is long lasting and colorful and spectacular but and it's kind of averagely good for pollinators but actually if you just let what was there grow naturally you'd have arguably a less dramatic display but definitely something that was biologically more useful more functional ecologically more functional so yeah i i would kind of put cornflowers in with with all of that what about you lee I mean, when they're in the right now. place, they're they're jolly nice. But they, yeah, they are. They've been kind of misappropriated, haven't they, into this strange sort of quasi nature industry? But yeah, see it in a in a in an arable field margin, lovely. This is the thing with this show is yeah, people want to I'm put surprised. it in and be like, oh, but they are nice. But it's usually what they represent. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, if I saw one out and about, I wouldn't be offended by it. No. But when Amy tells that story of them, I'm like, oh. I'd love to meet someone that was offended by the sight of a oh. cornflower. <laughs> anyway, late, I do wonder though as week. well, late first week, I do wonder as well sometimes it's like, I don't know whether like social media or Instagram, because you'd see these really intense pictures of wildlife places sometimes, or like the really intensity of nature that you want this like picture perfect thing on like a meadow with like a myriad of all these colours swaying different kinds of flowers is kind of what people want but actually we've we've gone too far the other way in terms of getting people to like want wildlife but actually it's, it doesn't it's not going to look like no yeah we want the instagram like effect that. that's what we want we want it to look nice now for a long time and we don't want to think about the work behind it or the potential negatives that's what we yeah. Want. yeah that's why that exists uh there right. was one more on i will just say one more on twitter from a guy called andrew he put in roses he called them horrible prickly bastards and they don't know when to quit he doesn't even think they look nice <laughs> so what does he mean he, what does he mean they don't know when to quit they're not like no, ferocious i asked that exact question nadia shake <laughs> i said what do you oh. mean they don't know when to quit and he said growing there's a reason people are always pruning their roses and and that's because they don't have a, the decency to form a decent shape. <laughs> I'm I, not putting I, roses I don't in. know. I just I think he's describing plants. I don't think that's I don't think growing growing all over <laughs> yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah. Type yeah. right. plants. Yeah. Exactly. So okay, I'm, well, I'm you're wrong, no friend of the show. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, if you're listening, but we're not putting roses in, bruv. We're just not doing it. Um, anyway, let's focus on what our guests have brought in. So let's go into our okay, first topic go. on Nature Room 101. Right, well, we're carrying on with pathetic plants. So plants are super vital to life, but they ain't all pretty kind or particularly fun. Amy Jane Beer, what plant are you putting forward for Nature Room 101? Well, my first my first thought was um, blue green algae, but technically that's a bacteria. It's not a plant. It's cyanobacteria. <laughs> it's a it is a it is a sort of chlorophyll based photosynthetic life form, <laughs> but it's not really a plant. So I probably can't have that. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go for one which I think. Well, I'm sure I won't be the only one. A Himalayan balsam. Mm. Oh. Just because as I look, I'm looking out of my window now, and I can see 
that pink haze in the woods and there is a zone that I've managed to kind of just flog away at keeping clear um but I've spent so much time pulling the stuff that Mm. I can smell it a a thousand paces now and it just it offends me on a kind of multi-sensory level Um, I spend a lot of time by rivers, um, as you know, and there's so many of the rivers around here, you know, from, from May onwards, late May onwards, they are just thick with the stuff. And when it dies away in the winter, as it does every year, Mm -hmm. it just leaves bare soil. And then that bare soil is running into the river. So yeah, it's, it's a problem. I'm sure in the Himalayas, it's fantastic. That was going to be So tell me, yeah, I want to ask one too. Go on, you go first. I, so I, I, I recognise that there are a lots lots of so you, you alluded to it there, which it's a non-native plant. So it's it's something that has recently colonised, um, and I was always under the impression, and correct me, like I guess in, like enlighten me, is that if we had like a really robust, healthy ecosystem and healthy biodiversity is it harder for things to just kind of like colonize in that way really intensively? And so how has it managed to become so prolific? Like what's its story? It definitely does better in in sort of when it has an opportunity, when it's given a bit of an in. Mm. So the woods near near me, about 11 or 12 years ago, they did a really poor job of clear felling a load of trees um, through a very wet winter. And so there was absolute devastation of the ground floor with the, the vehicles moving in and out. And um, and so it just created this blank space that the balsam just moved into with astonishing speed and and, mm. and took over. So, so I think there's definitely something in that, but it, because it likes wet places um, and they often are quite disrupted you know you quite often get these you know natural disruptions of, of wet places whether it's flood events or, or whatever so um so i think it would it would be there anyway um it Wrong does get hold back when things dries out but it's i mean it's tough it's, it's impressive as a plant you know I, pretty I, it's, it, well it's yeah i i, I can't see, i'm you... so i'm so far gone with it now i can't <laughs> see the beauty of it yeah now. it is yeah yeah <laughs> Gordy. Yeah, Gordy. <laughs> how, how would you feel if you saw it in the Himalayas? Would you would you, would you still be like, ugh? Oh, no, no. Same same. With, I think know. you would. To be honest, I think you would. I think, I no. think you hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's I fine. Would. I have been to the Himalayas, but I've not seen it. So I've obviously been to the wrong bits. That's ironic. Um, but same as I would love to see grey squirrels in Carolina. See, but I think that kind of if adorable. I saw them in Carolina, I'd, I think I'd be like, ugh, grey squirrels. Same old, same old. Same old. I wouldn't be impressed. <laughs> Parakeets. Would it ruin your holiday to the Himalayas if you saw it? No, definitely not. Okay. Would you claim on insurance? <laughs> no, does that mean I can't have it in 101? Does it we don't know. know. It depends. No, it's all going it's to depend if Lee, if Lee pulls us something out the bag. Yeah, which I just is feel like it would be a service. It would be a service to the nation if we could just stick it in 101. But this is the thing. It would be a disservice to the Himalayas. <laughs> Having a native plant just removed. But mm-hmm. this is the tricky thing. So, <laughs> Lee, what you got for us? Uh, so, mine is is a bit personal. Uh, it's purple saxifrage. But it's not purple saxifrage ever, everywhere. It's purple saxifrage <laughs> just at Horswater. Wow. Um, which is, I realise, quite specific. But when I started working at Horswater a decade ago, we had this, there was this list of of, of kind of very rare plants for the area. And over the course of the last ten years, I've been I've been trying to relocate them, um, and where possible, try to kind of give them a helping hand. So collect seeds from them, grow them on in our nursery, all that kind of thing. 
And Purple Saxophrage just refuses to be found. And there's this one record um, by Derek Ratcliffe from the 1970s up in this sort of quite remote mountain quarry that, that falls within the site. Um, but he didn't, Derek Ratcliffe was this amazing ecologist who recorded at just like, he was, he was a proper um, ecology polymath. You know, he knew plants, he knew birds, he knew fungi, he knew everything. And he had this sort of seemingly superhuman ability to go and find stuff in really remote places. Um, and very uncharacteristically for him, for some reason, the, the specific location of purple saxifrage in Bleewater wasn't recorded. So all I inherited was it's in that one kilometer square somewhere. Um, and it's a really bloody fussy species. So it's quite small and sprawling. It's very easily outcompeted by bigger, chunkier plants. But the really difficult thing about it is that it, it flowers really, really early, sort of March, April time, sort of depends on the altitude a little bit. So if you're going out looking for it, you have to make a special trip. You can't just kind of pull it into a, a you know a survey that you might be doing for other things. So I've been out pretty much every year, I think, scrambling around in cliffs and crags uh, in places that would make our health and safety officer shudder. Um, <laughs> and it just refuses to be found. And it's, a, you know, it is a pretty rare species. It's a very beautiful species. It's got these amazing, uh, like really large purple flowers proportionate to the rest of the plant, which is really, really tiny. And yeah, you see it in some places in the Yorkshire and stuff, and there's quite a lot of it. In the lakes, it's very few and far between. And it's just this really irritating thing that might still be there, but just refuses to give itself up to me. It's interesting. This is interesting because this isn't the plant itself. It's your relationship with this particular situation. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. one One might call it a you problem. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you're going to put me in room 101 <laughs> never on room 101 has anyone gone I think this is more of a you problem <laughs> <laughs> this is a brilliant story though and really interesting fascinating wow if you put this forward and we decide to put it in if next March you find it we have to get it out doing? again is that, do you want, are you going to write to us and be like guys <laughs> found it get it out yeah yeah no but is it not the case of its absence is going in room 101 so therefore it will be found it's my oh. inability to find it that's yeah, going in. I, yeah but yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to okay. rule with the iron fist there the plant will have to go in will that be everywhere or do, uh, can i say like, no, we would be everywhere, everywhere. Mm. would be yeah we're getting rid of it so and it would be i would say lee it would be an incredible move from you <laughs> <laughs> to force your experience into, onto yeah. the rest of the generation forever. Yeah, it's true. You would be no, the I person... Find it. No one's f***ing finding it. Yeah, you'd be the person <laughs> that introduced starlings to North America. Like, you'd be that guy that was like, oh, I yeah. just miss them because they remind me of home. <laughs> I, haven't really, I haven't really thought this through, have I? <laughs> I think you have. I think you know exactly what you've done. <laughs> This is really interesting. We've got to decide which one to go in. I'll tell I you mean, where I'm at. Okay, go on. Tell me. I'm, what are you thinking? Because so, I, I think you're obtuse as a person. I don't really know what people mean when they say that. I think you're going to be a bit awkward here. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I get told that a lot. <laughs> go um, on, where are you at? I, I like the... The personal aspect of it. Yeah, I knew that. I think it's quite dark. <laughs> um, but I, I'm so on board with Himalayan balsam. Yeah. So I share that experience more than I share Lee's 
so although, I, I just, although however it, it, it is the attitude it's so it's the determination and personal relationship that lee has forged with horsewater that should be celebrated as a really important part of our natural history heritage and culture is those deep forged relationships with a local place and that evolved local knowledge that we hold but having said that whilst i appreciate the story I hate Himalayan balsam because the mm. smell makes me want to throw up. And I had a different perspective to the Himalayan balsam pitch. Oh, okay. So I was just in the Pacific Northwest. My brother-in-law and his family live nice. out there. So despite the massive guilt about a big flight, um, we, that's where we've been. And over there, there is so much bramble and broom, as well as the starlings and the house sparrows and all of that other stuff that we brought across in our total lack of wisdom as mm. colonizing despots. And, you know, if you throw Himalayan balsam in, then by the same logic, you've kind of got to get rid of bramble and broom and house sparrows and starlings and all of the other things that we have exported that are causing absolute devastation. So I am I'm all over getting rid of Himalayan balsam over here. But you know, if we're gonna be rational about this, then right. then there's the implications because are. Because rational very large. is is exactly the premise of the show. Yeah, I, I know, I know. That's <laughs> You're right. Thought, no, you, you know, make a good yeah. point. In that case, Amy, oh, so I'm in that you, case, well, yeah, yeah but if we're going with purple saxophone, <laughs> then that's everywhere as well, isn't it? And so Oh you know, god. Lee, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I think I need something stronger than a doctor. I think is there, is there a place where purple saxophrage is causing a problem? I really doubt it. But would but would be but well, only horse water for Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. In, In one brain. Right. Okay. Okay, I've picked it. I know what I've I picked. Despite Lee's excellent pitch. rebuttal there, pitch. Yeah. Are we I'm, I'm going to put balsam in the bin. And if that means starlings in North America go in the bin as well, eventually. I we'll think do, I'm we'll go do with a it. bird one and then we'll do starlings. <laughs> right. Balsam okay, well done, well done, Amy. Going in. Well done, Amy. We're doing it. I'm really sorry, Lee. There we go. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. Right. Let's go. Next. That was intense for the first time. I don't know. I was thrown all over the place. <laughs> I feel wobbly. Um, um, right. Let's go on to the second one. Nadia. Bit of a funny one, this one. So it's academic annoyances. So the academic world has taught us so much, but it does have its issues. Either these could be mine and Ryan's issues <laughs> that we're bringing to the world. But which part of the nature academic world would you throw in the bin? It's so much of what we know about nature, how we come to understand it, research it. It's, it's underpinned by the academic world in a lot of ways. And so there has to be things about how we study the natural world particularly with academia, that just rubs you up the wrong way that you could say goodbye to forevermore deep in the vault to rub up against Himalayan balsam for all eternity. Um, we started with Amy last time, so I think I'll start with Lee this time. What you got? Yeah, mine's a bit um, 
esoteric maybe so it, it's kind of the idea that science gives us that we are somehow in control um this you know i know that the whole point of science is that it's about learning and but it sometimes gives us this idea that that we we know what's going on and we just clearly don't you know nature <laughs> is just so complicated and we will never never ever know everything um and this idea that that we are in control leads to a whole load of really perverse outcomes like things like management prescriptions in in schemes you know the idea that you must manage this particular field in this particular way in order to get this particular set of outcomes it, it it's just been patently shown not to work you know that is the basis of our stewardship schemes and things and while they have done some good you know nature has continued to kind of swirl down the plug hole so um i think there is something occasionally a bit i mean this i guess is more about our kind of human arrogance that we you know that we think we're the, the top species that we think we're in control but science sometimes i think can risk sort of reinforcing that that misapprehension brilliant well Ryan knows I'm a fan now, of that. Dr. <laughs> Amy Jane Beer, the scientist, will uh, <laughs> destroy <take it> you. <laughs> uh, interesting, though, that I, you say yeah. that, and it's a really interesting point because if you go back to the, your previous answer um, with the saxifrage, like there's so much that we don't know as to why it is not there. Presumably, I wonder whether there's a niggle there for you in terms of like there will be so many complex intersecting issues around the natural world that you are not understanding that language or reading it from your point of view um as well which is which is presumably why it's not present there's something you guys haven't got a grip on or don't understand potentially that's happening in the ecology of the place with that yeah yeah and i think true. it's also this this sort of scientific mindset sort of somehow pushes out the kind of the more spiritual side of things so mm. um you know reading robin wall kimmerer who who more so than anybody else somehow manages to blend that sort of scientific brain with that with that spiritual brain I, I don't think generally speaking we as conservationists are particularly good at that and it's almost it's almost a little bit shameful to kind of admit that you sort of you love nature as well as care about it and want to protect it and i think you know i think it, science is clearly really important and i'm not suggesting that that we uh throw the whole way of thinking in the bin but i think there are there are risks i think there are ways that it, it sort of sort of straitjackets our thinking that that sort of pushes out other ways of seeing the natural world and our place within it yeah no yeah i yeah yeah no i we agree what you can you can learn about the ecology of a hedgehog but not the essence you can't know the essence of a hedgehog yeah. until you've sat and listened to one snaffling food in your garden and, and i'm hearing you're saying that you know it's it's about a lot more having that balance as well of the thinking isn't it it's not like removing it all together it's like well there's just such an imbalance in how that thought process or work is done it's like let's you know we don't need to know everything <laughs> also okay no i'm gonna i was gonna go on a separate side rant which nobody needs let's let's find out if amy jane beer um wants to just absolutely hand in the towel and go with lee or has something completely different <laughs> Well, Lee's, Lee's, that's not fair. He's invoked Robin Wall Kimmerer, which basically means I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm very much starting on the back foot. Academic publishing for me, because all the great stuff that that science is producing, that academia or nature academics are producing, um, the vast majority of it is still published in a number of journals that are published by 
corporations that are among the most venal money grabbing that I know. Um, and this stuff goes behind paywalls, astronomically expensive paywalls, or it goes into very limited print run books that cost an absolute fortune. Um, and that's not what any scientist is doing the work for you know with the, the whole point of this kind of, of study is to produce knowledge with which to sort of move forward to benefit mm-hmm. the not just the human race but but the planet as a whole this sort of endeavor of, of humanity and yet it disappears behind this huge paywall and becomes inaccessible but actually there are there are there are hacks i mean i when i want a paper i just track down the author and send them a nice email and they're delighted to share it. And they'll always send you a PDF for nothing. So as a tip there, if anyone, if you want the reference, don't pay for it. Don't, don't pay for it. Because why should someone else who didn't do the work be making money out of that? So, so there's that. But it also, the, the sort of culture that goes along with it, this sort of pressure on, on scientists, particularly in their early career to produce a certain number of papers a year, is really unhealthy. And the jargon that goes along with it, this sort of style. I know there's something Ryan has, has ranted about himself, um, but that's that that sort of feeds into it. This sort of expectation to communicate in a certain style, which is not actually a style that's designed for communication purposes. It's a style that's 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 designed to sort of create this sort of sense of an elite, or, or a, it's exclusive. It's impenetrable half the time. You know, I'm not a researcher anymore, but I do edit a lot of manuscripts for scientists whose whose first language isn't English, and they're publishing in journals which almost you know, across the board for science are are published in the English language. So they need some help to polish that up. So I'm still sort of not on the front line, but I'm in the I'm in the trenches of that business, and I want to see that work out there that should be the job of academic publishing to get the work out there so the more and more of these kind of free online free access publications the better and there are these stupid rankings which tell you that they're not you know it's not worth as much if it's published in one of those journals compared to one of the one of the top so this whole sort of league tabling um, turning it into some, some kind of competitive structure is just yeah really unhelpful well, uh, that's my yes, yes, uh, yes. This is going to be a really, really hard one. This is. I was thinking that as you brought because when when you said academic publishing, I was like, oh, I wonder what route Amy will go down. But everything you've just covered there, I'm like, uh, yeah. You know, I've I've tried to. I know there was one recently. There was a, a research book that, or an academic book that came out on Journal, and it was like 125 quid. What? Did you get it? They were like, but this is ridiculous. This is not the price. This is meant to be something to, the whole point is science communication to get this out to as many people as possible. And you've just failed at the first hurdle by putting £125 on the price. I it's did not know insane. this. I did not know that that was the amount of money. I didn't know, I didn't know loads that you just said there, Amy. I didn't know that when you're a young kind of academic researcher, you are pushed to, to be productive in terms of the quantity of work that you put out there. I didn't know... I don't know, I guess just the extent of the... In fact, you know what it is? I've never actually questioned the paywall to papers before until this. I've mm. always just gone like, oh, I can't access this. Someone will have it. And obviously, like the language thing I've got, I get and I understand. I've, I When I open... I mean, if I can get through the abstract, I'm done really, if I'm honest. And it's not because my brain isn't capable of, of thinking and having an inquiring creative mind. 
I just don't understand why they're using the words that they're using. Um, Same. I have to, I, I don't know, and I put myself out there. I genuinely have to stop, look up the words so many times going, I don't understand what's being said here. Like, mm-hmm. drop the pretentiousness and your ego and talk to me like a human being for a bit. <laughs> like, it's the same information if you just use words that everyone uses. Like, it really, it, it so makes what, me is that just so elitism? Is that just, is that just elitism or is that just like a culture of elitism? Or is there a reason, Amy? Can can the paper be misconstrued? Um, obviously, you if have to use common words and like. And there are there are times when you know that there is the entirely appropriate word, and that's one of the wonderful mm. things about English. There's always a word that's well, or nearly always a word that's perfect. If not, we just steal one from another language. But but <laughs> but, but there is that there is usually a word. You know, we have we have this absolutely colossal vocabulary, um, and that's wonderful. But um, because it's delicious when you've got the word that exactly kind of matches the the, the concept. Um, but in in academic in science publishing, those words are often sort of composite words, um, and yeah, they just seem to be designed to sort of to say, right, well, I, I am I am a scientist and I am communicating, therefore I will speak in this particular or address yeah. you in a particular way. Um, and it's stuffy and it's clumsy, um, and yeah, I think it's just it, it's to, to, to show you're in the club, um, mm. and it but it leaks this very, this way of communicating leaks even when it's not when a lot of these scientists are then writing for other purposes. I for public communication, um, I used to edit magazine for one of the wildlife charities who funded a lot of research, and I the, the, the supporters magazine would invite the researchers to come and. Tell tell the people that are actually funding their work, i.e., the people that are supporting that charity, um, what they've been doing and why it matters. And they'd send back these turgid, dry reports. I'm like, no, no, I want the story. I mm. want why why this matters to you. I want to know what it's like out there in the field. I want to know how you feel about this species that your work's trying to monitor or save or conserve. And they really, really struggled. And I'd say, look, just pretend you're in the pub or in sitting on your sofa with a cup of tea telling your friend about this thing you've discovered and why it's important. And they just That's, they can't know it's let funny. Go of that I'm seeing a link persona. here with with Lee's work. That's you know, what was Lee say, was yeah. just saying like science in the absence of art mm. and creativity mm. and spirituality is this really dry thing. I used to train volunteers for the RSPB uh, who would do meet and greet and welcoming for like the public. And I made this board game, which was based on the board game Articulate, where you get like cards with words on and you have to describe the thing without saying the thing. So I would give them these cards with really complicated concepts um, or birds or wildlife, and they had to describe it without saying. So it might be like a cuckoo. And they're like, oh, it's like a big grayish bird that lays its eggs in other birds' nests. And I'm like, brilliant. So say that. (laughs) (laughs) Under the time pressure of... Like having to like describe this thing to somebody who they didn't know what their bird knowledge was to score points to do it quickly. They stripped it right back to the basics. And I was like, so you can do it. But I've heard you say to a visitor, ah, this is the parasitic species and it's a it's a seasonal migrant. And I'd just be like, damn it, you've gone back. <laughs> yeah, I, I think <laughs> it comes from this this idea of taking yourself out of the out of the writing, doesn't mm-hmm. it? That's why it becomes so dispassionate. I remember writing my master's dissertation many, many moons ago, and that's that's kind of the last time I've done had to do sort of proper academic writing really and just constantly you write I and it's like no I must not say I and like <laughs> you end up in this really weird form of language which is designed to be completely kind of impartial you know which to a degree 
makes sense. You know, it's got to be objective, but but it does. Yeah, it just it just makes it sound robotic and it takes the human out of the out of the research. And generally speaking, people, you know, everyone gets really affronted, don't they, when they when they see science being done by somebody who seems to have some kind of vested interest. So I think that, you know, Chris Packham getting very het up about the guy that published the Grousemore stuff who happens mm. to be a shooter. It's like, well, it's not really very surprising that somebody is going to go and do some research into shooting who is interested in <laughs> shooting, right? I mean, just like people who do research into ecology and biodiversity are generally people who are quite interested in ecology and biodiversity and looking after it. So you'd hope. So it, it's not really possible to make these things completely objective. And uh, um, yeah, I wonder whether we really should be trying to go to quite the kind of dehumanizing level that, that we that we typically go to in science writing. I do, I do even like some of the work we've done, like in the uh, the trophy hunting debate, where we've tried to make it a bit more, we've humanized it a bit more. That's where we've had a lot of comments going like, it's not objective enough, it's too biased one way. And it's like, I think we've just made it a bit more human. I think like we've added those that level to it. And I think there's a lot of people on the academic side that can't deal with that, if that makes sense. Something like that. It's an emotive mm. issue, isn't it? It's not yeah, yeah, a yeah. rational issue. You know, you can't you can't make a decision about the rights and wrongs of trophy hunting based on science, can you? You know, you can you can make a quantitative assessment of how it impacts mm. populations, but like whether it should happen or not is a is a moral issue. Yeah, and the solutions are people-based as well, right? So often yeah, all the solutions around complex issues, whether it's human-wildlife conflict, are often like, well, we're going to have to get this community on board, so they're going to have to give a shit. Yeah, and and yeah. so like so so often the solutions, and I think, Lee, this is going back to your issue, which is a massive bug in, like, bug in my bonnet, <laughs> or a bee, which I would welcome with open arms. It's like, like you can look statistically at like, are kind of protected landscapes and what's there and what's not there and this really kind of like dry analysis of it. But ultimately, why are we doing this stuff? We're doing this stuff because we want change to happen. And the change can only happen because of relationships with humans and those humans deciding to support something, to fund something, to give political weight to something, to take political weight away, to like dig up the plant and put the other plant there. Like ultimately, the output is a human output. And so if you start off from a really dry place, it's really hard to retrofit emotion at the back end to try and make the change. Because ultimately, the science communication you were talking about, Amy Jambier, in, in the in the publication for the public, it would be way more useful to have the heart right at the beginning as part of it so that the public was on that journey with that like emotion. Because ultimately, the thing that the scientist cares about isn't going to get funded for if the public doesn't care about the thing and mm. isn't engaged with the thing anyway. So it's a moot point. If the, if the scientist is arguing, well, you're making it too fluffy, and it's like, well, your wages are going to disappear because no one's going to support you. <laughs> well done. But you can fight, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think what I like about your two answers, though, is that they they really hit, did start to merge into the very similar themes as well, though. Like, I, no, I like Ryan, this. you're not doing it. You're not putting them both in. You have to. <laughs> I can see. Are you queuing us up to put two things in room one? I think one? I was. I think no, I was. I, I didn't even know I was, but I think I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Oh, right. I don't know what to do. Um. Right. Is there anybody else in your house that, because I know I think we're going to pick different things. I think I'm going to go with Lee and I think you're going to go with Amy. And I think right. we need it. What do we do? How do we do this? Oh, no, maybe we ask Lee and Amy to vote because maybe they've switched sides. I think we know how that will go, though. <laughs> <laughs> we can yeah. try it. So you each have one vote now. <laughs> 
Oh God, I don't you know. know. What, I mean, mine's mine's a bit gassy and ill-defined, <laughs> isn't it? It might just kind of waft around in room one hundred and one, whereas whereas Amy's is is quite solid and will sit there and you know, I, I I'm brilliant. I'm prepared to acquiesce. I'm, oh, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> because what it means is I think if we get rid of the academic institution of paywalls, complicated language and accessibility, I think ultimately down the line, we wouldn't have Lee's situation. I was going to say the same the other way around, though. Okay. <laughs> too much if we got rid of that, oh. then we wouldn't have this academic problem. <laughs> These things will drag each other down with them. Oh, are you they sure will. there's not room I'm... for... Can we put half of each in? I mean, we could say we've discovered... It's oh, own God. unique middle ground. Oh, Ryan, I don't know, but I really think we're overthinking it now. We could do a research paper on this. <laughs> Let's get the data. <laughs> what are you for, Okay. Um, okay, right. I'm just going to... I'm going to go with Lee. This is a plot twist. I'm going to go with Lee because that's my world's biggest bugbear in nature conservation, which leaves people paying hundreds of pounds that I could... Look, that involves me and I'm willing to, I think... I've already given you the workaround for that. So, you know, oh, okay. it could probably be a yeah, piece Amy, uh, Yeah, Amy gave Just us Just be nice to a scientist. Tip. Send them a nice letter, email, or, you know, get cool. your quill out. <laughs> but, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay. We, Please we only are, ever write in a quill to a scientist. <laughs> we, are putting, we are putting our understanding of the natural environment and how that dictates how we manage and support it. In the absence of soul, art, creativity, love, and and humanness, that is going in room one hundred and one. With God. the hope to also drag in. The open the <laughs> open the big door for that one. Right, let's move okay. on to our last round. Shit, sea life or stupid sea life? I can't remember what I put in the email, but we're going for stupid sea life. Um, sea life goes far beyond our imagination yet some of it can go away and get in the sea or get in the vault um amy jane beer what part of the sea marine world do you want to put into nature room 101 salt (laughs) (laughs) i think that was amazing everyone knows what you mean It's the one thing that just makes being in the sea, I mean, obviously not for all the other creatures that are there, but for me personally, um, it tastes vile. There are so many times, you know, when you've just ingested a bit too much and you you just... Mm. You get the shits, yeah. Well... Uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Well... (laughs) I wasn't going to say that, but you do get a bit kind of borky and belchy and burpy and it's just gross and and then everything's salty afterwards i mean you know if you camp your sleeping bag after you know it's all kind of manky so it's just yeah salt i'm notwithstanding the fact that it is the kind of saltiness of that environment that sort of you know provided the medium in which life began i mean let's you know just overlook that a little bit. There are zero repercussions if we remove something, though. mm, mm. Or could we just change the flavour of the sea somehow, you know? Salt and sweet. Dr. Pepper. Salt and sweet like popcorn. Exactly. (laughs) If we evened it out with a bit of sweet. (laughs) Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Palatability of the sea. You're right. It is salty. I think it is the reason I don't like getting in the sea, actually. I'm not, I'm not I dislike it, but I think I'd be more inclined to cold water sea swim if it wasn't salty. Mm. This is why river. Amy's always in rivers. Mm. Makes I sense. I mean, the rivers are full of shit, but and then so's the sea now. So, ah, you know. shit. Yeah. But, <laughs> fuck. 
Oh, yeah, good point. That is yeah, brilliant, Amy. What, what, yeah. what, what salt do you buy for the house? Uh, Molden. Posh yes. salt. Is that is that yeah. Is salt, salt. yeah. So this but is is this part of your mission to, to remove Maybe. salt slowly yeah. from the sea by putting it into your food? <laughs> <laughs> One yeah, because the sea is getting time. saltier all the time. You know, the salt is coming from dissolved is it? mineral salt. Yeah, that's why the I thought it was salty. getting less salty because icebergs were melting. Uh, well, that might be having a slight ameliorating effect, but over time more salt is coming into the sea. Because it's coming from the rocks, the rivers are bringing it, you know, in a very dilute fashion. But when the water evaporates from the oceans and goes back into the atmosphere and back into the rivers, it leaves the salt behind. Okay, right. Show me how little I know about the sea. (laughs) Oh, Ryan. I don't know how deep you're going in this, Ryan, but I'm starting to think about, okay, so if that didn't impact any of the species evolution that require salt to be part of their lifestyle, like, I'm going, anyway. I I can't get chips out of my head at the moment. That's all I've That's got. That's where mind. it belongs. Because I discussed it with my son, with Lockie, <laughs> last night. I said, you know, what do you think about the sea? And I said, I said, what do you think about salt? He went, salt belongs on your chips. <laughs> Not in the sea. I'm so glad I'm on the same level. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want to get rid of salt altogether, just salt from the sea again. Okay. So, is that, okay. that whole problem about room 101 will be lose it from everywhere, in which case we'd all instantly die. No, because salt <laughs> exists outside of the sea. There are other salts. Mm. Right. Camilla okay. Li- salt. Himalayan rock salt, yeah. If you're in Hampstead. <laughs> or in Delhi, any Delhi. <laughs> um, Lee, what beats salt? Sand. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. We're going, we're both going quite fundamental here, aren't we? Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you're really stretching the sea life. I mean, last time, last time I went ocean sunfish, but okay. Yeah. What? Come on, why sand? Uh, just because it gets everywhere, doesn't it? It's so annoying, and you, you, you know, especially the kind of the damp, sort of gritty stuff, and you sort of dust it off your leg with your hand, and then it's yeah. stuck on your hand, and you try and dust it off with your other hand, and it's on that hand, and it just, just very annoying, and it ends up in the car, and it's just mm-hmm. whenever we go to a sandy beach, we just always try and get, we just go to the rock pools, or we go into the water, or we go. You know, and it's it's just boring, isn't it? The sand and everybody lying around on it, getting a suntan. I mean, just the the sort of the really dull bit that I just have no no truck with at all. Um, and I think it also it's just ecologically. I know it's got things that live in it and all that, but like <laughs> I like messiness and complexity and sand is just a bit dull, isn't it? You know, it's all flat and yellow and boring. Give me rocks and. Pebbles so would you give up the, oh yeah okay yeah no you're right oh god where do you stand on a desert not <laughs> physically I'm not asking where would you stand like probably uh, the shade but where well that depends on a, whether it's a desert that's meant to be a desert or a desert that's desertifying because we've <laughs> climate over oh, so badly desert is in natural like, meant you know, to be a meant desert, to be a desert. Yeah, don't go down that yeah, well yeah um, you know good like, opportunity this... for solar power isn't the way I think about it. <laughs> but sand-wise, not always sandy deserts, but... Uh, it's, it's, it's the sea-sand relationship, right? I think that's what yeah. Lee's getting at. And I think that's okay. fine. But so, can I just... If you could remove the sand and put like another substrate, if you were going to the seaside and you, you were getting out the sea, what would you like your feet to be? Emerging it's like from a big, a big round pebble like you get on Exmouth Beach <laughs> that kind of makes that wonderful kind of clacky sound when the waves come into it. You know, way better than... 
boring what? sand. Okay. You're going with a giant pebble. <laughs> that the sea just laps up. I against. forgot he, he doesn't lay. He doesn't lay down. I went immediately comfort, and I was like, if it's if we're picking anything, moss. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, sea yeah moss. moss. Good. Yeah, maritime heath, that lovely springy Ooh. turf. Yeah. Lots of thrift yeah, a bit of and chamomile yeah. mixed in with it. Yeah, be nice. Do a bit of yoga on that after a swim. But I have to mm. fight back here because I think sand is really interesting. They're doing it again. Yeah, go on, They're going to battle. <laughs> go on, Amy. Well, it's different on every beach. I was on the Isles of Scilly um, a few weeks ago and I can't even remember why I was looking up sand. <laughs> I think I wanted to know what made it sparkly because some of the beaches there, the sand is really sparkly. Like it's like kind of disco floor, you know, nightclub floor tiles, um, sparkly. Um, and there's a guy who's been taking pictures of all the different sands on every different beach on the Isles of Scilly and, you know, high zoomed in macro photography. And every single one is different. And I bet there were sailors that used to, you know, would know the beach, the sand of a particular beach. So they'd know where they'd washed up or whatever they could probably navigate by the by just kind of looking at the sand the color of it the texture the grain size the, whether it's made of shell or or quartz or granite or whatever i mean that's cool that's cool it's small Me? rocks though isn't it <laughs> it is well it, exactly it is small rocks but if you got rid of sand you'd also be getting rid of sandstone um, sand castles sand castles yeah, and I get it that it's really annoying in your cracks and crevices Decale. that's why you need calcium powder in your um, in your swim bag this you've gone really you've both gone granular I didn't think you were going to go granular <laughs> <laughs> you, not where I thought you were going to go because I would say if you, if you said to me what are my two least favourite things about a beach and not about visually I'm going if I was visiting a beach I would say the salt and sand because they yeah. are Amy can I wait, can, do you know what's the sea is it the dead sea that's got like no salt or loads of salt loads of salt yeah so and so you float yeah. so no salt we'd sink well, no, because you don't sink you the river, <laughs> but you become slightly more buoyant because it's relative. You're... I just want to think about the repercussions on a buoyancy level. I know, but I know your brain went like, <laughs> without the salt, you just drop immediately. <laughs> I'm okay with I'm okay with where I'm at mentally at the moment. Um, which is not firing on all cylinders, no. <laughs> which is okay. God, so you would help be... You swim in some ways. The sea is You're more buoyant in the sea than you are. So you'd be less buoyant. So it would make snorkeling easier. Mm. Yes, because you'd be a little bit more sinky. Yeah, because one of my biggest problems is my buoyancy and snorkeling. Is it? <gasps> yeah, I've, I've really that struggled to go down. one of your biggest problems? <laughs> yeah, if not the biggest problem. I, I can see something and I'm just not good at getting to it. Yeah. I think that's I think that's quite a female thing, Nadia. I relate to that. Is it? Where buoyancy does my bag. buoyancy exist? Oh, is it our boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Nadia, are you okay? <laughs> well, We're I all am arriving now, to the point about half an hour before you are. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, um, Ryan, right, go on. So what are you thinking? Um, oh, my, my gut is saying is saying salt because I think. I like to lay on the beach. Therefore, a pebbly beach does not deliver as much as a sandy beach. And I do like to swim, but I hate... Although salt's very good for my hair after a swim. Is it? It, it seems to do nice things to it. I don't know what the science is. But it always always looks good afterwards. You're leaning right. for sand though, aren't you? No, I'm... I'm no, I'd rather... if the. I, I think I've said before once in no, my life... No, you're leaning for salt. 
yeah, I wish the sea had no salt in it because I would probably swim more. I think so. So I'm going to go with salt. Okay. I Ignoring the fact that if you did get rid of salt, anything that relies on a salt environment would also die. If we can no, just, that's no, not on that's, the tenno. That, that doesn't happen with room one, nature room 101. There's no repercussions. It just goes. Are you sure? Because I feel like we've discussed repercussions before. <laughs> Depending on depending on how difficult if we're it is having to repercussions, argue. we've a lot. <laughs> the, the planet is absolutely yeah. Um, okay, um, no, no repercussions. Things salt can still can, live salt in can, it. Salt can get in room one hundred and one. Okay, salt, sorry, okay. Lee. I actually like a sandy beach. Sometimes I actually actively sit and exfoliate my own legs and skin whilst I'm on the beach. How gross is that? Who's ever sat after where I've been sitting? It's a DNA nightmare. And all those little fish that come in when the, with the tide. Like, I love having my fish nibbles. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. So in Nature Room 101 on this series, uh, this episode, sorry, we have, what do we start with? Um, Himalaya Balsam is in there. Then we have, how are we titling the middle one? Oh, God. The robotic science brain. Let's call it heartless biodiversity. Heartless biodiversity is going in. And then lastly, we have salt. From making the, the world a better place. Thanks, I guys. I hope we are. <laughs> um, that just leaves us to say thank you to Amy Jane Beer and Lisa Fofield. Thank you so much for being on the Thanks, show. Um, very calm rants. We've had more intense rants before. Very calm, but very important yeah. points. And I do like the way you both battled with each other. <laughs> we enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, thank you. No Not worries. stressful at all. <laughs> um, thank you very much, nerds. Uh, we, Nadia and I will see you on our next episode. Um, just a reminder that on October 14th, we have a live Nature Room 101 at Oxford University Museum. Uh, tickets will be on sale in September. Uh, you can go by the Oxford University Museum website. and Natural History Museum, specifically. There we go. Specifically, check our socials and the write-up of this episode and the ticket link will be there. Um, And don't forget to obviously subscribe, follow us on social media, all that jargon. Um, But thanks very much for joining us on this episode of Nature Room 101. Bye! Thanks for tuning into the show, nerds. If you don't already, make sure to follow us on social media at Into The Wild Pod on Twitter and at Into The Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you're able to and would like to, you can support the show by tipping us at coffee.com forward slash into the wild pod. That buys us the equivalent of a coffee and we use it to fund more podcasts for your ears. But until next time, keep well and live the good life.